book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost had come, the disciples were all together in one place. And suddenly, there was a sound from heaven, like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. Now there were Jews from every nation under heaven in Jerusalem. And at this sound, a crowd gathered, and they were bewildered because each heard them speaking in their own native language. Amazed and astonished, they said to each other, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, In our own language, we hear them speaking of God's deeds of power. Astonished and amazed, they said to themselves, What does all this mean? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The sermon this morning has been entitled, A Dangerous Day. Would you please pray with me? And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Way back in 1989, I was a freshman at a university in Johannesburg called Witz University. Those were turbulent days in South Africa. The apartheid regime was still very much in power. Nelson Mandela was still in prison. Freedom and democracy were dreams that still seemed a very far way away. Witz was a hot spot of all kinds of political activism, a place where the seething cauldron of political discontent frequently boiled over, bringing students into direct confrontation with the internal stability unit, a notoriously brutal branch of the state's security police. One incident remains emblazoned on my mind. 
Student activists had organized a lunchtime lecture which a prominent political leader was addressing. I didn't attend, so I don't know exactly what happened. But after the lecture, the group spilled out of the venue onto the steps of the Great Hall, where an impromptu political rally of sorts started taking place. The singing and the toy-toying started, which quickly drew a gathering throng of students. Now, for those who may be uninitiated, the toy-toy was a particular dance used in political protest. It's a while since I've done it. Well, since the 9.30 service. But it, <laughs> it goes something like this. And with the dancing, the toy-toying, there'd be cries of Amandla, to which there would come the reply, Amandla! Thank you, Dad. There we go. That's my father. So, uh, kind of tag-teaming today. So, Well, as I'm sure you might have, enge- might have guessed, I, of course, was in the library diligently doing some work. What? Why is that so funny? <laughs> It's true, I was in the library, although truthfully, I wasn't doing work. I was, I was having my daily library lunchtime nap. <laughs> and sure enough, got awakened from my slumber by the commotion. Curious as to what was going on, I innocently wandered outside to take a look-see and suddenly found myself swept up into this rapidly growing mass of students who were singing and dancing their protest on that massive piazza outside the Witz Great Hall. Next minute, out of nowhere, there was this whistling sound and four tear gas canisters suddenly came flying into the midst of the student throng. The Internal Stability Unit had arrived. As you can imagine, it was instant pandemonium as shrieking students scattered in every direction to get away from the tear gas, I being one of them, as I bolted down a wide walkway desperate to get away. As I ran, glancing over my shoulder at the chaos behind me, I suddenly became aware of a truly chilling sight. About 50 feet ahead, there was this barrier of security policemen in full riot gear. They were blocking one of the exits to the campus and were pointing rifles and tear gas launches in my general direction. I interpreted this correctly, it turned out, as a most unfriendly gesture on their part. And so as I was running, I literally did a wily coyote wheel spin in midair, which I won't demonstrate, and turned around and started running back in the direction from which I had come. That's when I heard another tear gas canister whizzing just inches past my right ear. By now, I was fully awake from my lunchtime snooze. I managed to scramble through a flower bed and over a wall where I waited with a pounding heart and burning eyes 
for the riot police to come and take me away. Thankfully, they never did. The point of the story is simply this. It was a dangerous day for everybody who was there. It didn't matter if you were one of the student activists who organized the lecture or just a curious bystander who had woken up from a library lunchtime snooze. It was a dangerous day and all of us who got caught up in it knew that for sure. Which reminds me a bit of Pentecost, for it too was a dangerous day. Luke tells the story in Acts chapter 2, how the believers were all together in one place when suddenly, without warning, the Holy Spirit came upon them like a rushing wind, like wildfire. And for all those who found themselves caught up in the events of that day, there were all sorts of dangerous consequences. This morning, let me mention four. Firstly, there was the danger of moving from the safety of relative obscurity to a place of public exposure. Up until this moment, this group of believers had kept a pretty low profile. We find them gathered together indoors, out of the public eye, keeping their heads down, not drawing any attention to themselves. Remember how after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, they had gathered together behind locked doors for fear of the Jews? Well, maybe they continued that practice of locking the doors just as a precaution. Maybe there was a special knock and a secret password before you could get in. You could never be too careful, you know. But then the Spirit came. And all of that changed in a heartbeat, in a dramatic and dangerous way. The locked doors were flung open and they burst out onto the street, creating quite a commotion as they proclaimed their convictions about Jesus and the great things that God had done. If you were to sum up that day in one word, a good option would be the word exposure. Exposure which doesn't sit that comfortably with us, does it? Because faith for us has become a largely private affair. And if we're honest, we prefer it that way. Especially in this world of religious pluralism, where there really is something quite offensive about somebody trying to shovel their particular brand of religion down other people's throats. I, for one, don't want any part of that. But the dangerous truth that we cannot avoid from this story is that the coming of the Spirit can move us to places of greater exposure regarding who we are and what we believe. It's the Spirit who does this. And dangerous though it may be, in the end, it is good news. I think the homeless Jesus can be something of that for our church. 
in the work and witness that is ours in the city. Because make no mistake, the installation of that sculpture will expose who we are and what we believe and what we stand for and some of the essence of the gospel in a very public way. But what about you personally? What might this mean for you in your workplace, in your social circle, even in your family? I'm not for a moment suggesting you suddenly become an overbearing religious nutter. But a little more openness, a little more exposure, a little more boldness in how you live out your faith. And make the stand that is yours within the world. Maybe that's the Spirit's dangerous work in your life today. Secondly, on the day of Pentecost, there was the danger of tongues being loosened. Up until this point in the story, if you read the Gospels carefully, there were only a handful of disciples whose voices had actually been heard. Peter, of course, James and John, Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel, Thomas, Mary and Martha, Mary Magdalene, and then a sprinkling of unnamed disciples, but that's pretty much it. But when the Spirit came, that changed. When the Spirit came, we read that all of them began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. In his sermon that day, Peter quoted from the prophet Joel, where God declares, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Friends, one of the signs of the Spirit One of the signs of the coming of the Spirit is when the voiceless are given a voice. And that's a dangerous thing, especially for the privileged and the powerful of this world. Immigrant farm workers in Florida's tomato fields, tomato fields, sorry, are a compelling case in point. For many, many years, they were voiceless and utterly vulnerable as they offered their back-breaking labor in the sweltering heat of the sun, picking the tomatoes that you and I eat nearly every day. But through an organization called the Coalition of Immokalee Workers, they have found their voice and have been speaking out boldly against the inhumane working conditions, injustice and abuse that they have suffered for too long. And as a result, their lives and circumstances are changing for the better. Their struggle is far from over, but through an initiative called the Fair Food Program, their wages and their working conditions have significantly improved. And to that, Christ Jesus surely would say a resounding Amen. 
That's the Pentecost story. Because when the voiceless find their voice to speak truth to power and to privilege, you can be sure that it's the Spirit that's enabling them to do so. Thirdly, on the day of Pentecost, there was the danger not only of tongues being loosened, but also of ears being opened. In the story, we tend to focus on the miracle of what the disciples were able to say through the power of the Spirit. But just as remarkable was the miracle of what those Jews in Jerusalem were able to hear through the power of the Spirit. Remember, they were all devout Jews in Jerusalem on a religious pilgrimage. Think how invested they would have been in affirming and defending their faith. Yet they were somehow able to hear the uncomfortable, disturbing news that Jesus of Nazareth, whom their own religious leaders had crucified, was in fact the promised Messiah. Their ears were opened. They heard and believed. And about 3,000 were added to the group of believers that day. When the Spirit comes, Ears are opened, and that's dangerous too, because when the truth of God is heard, rarely heard, old certainties are shaken, past convictions are disturbed, rigid categories are expanded, and who knows what all will unfold as a result, indeed lives, and yes, communities can be changed forever. It makes me wonder who the voiceless in our midst might be, to whom our ears need to be opened. I'm thinking especially of those who aren't even here, whose voices we seldom hear, but who nevertheless are saying to the church, your endless obsession with who's in and who's out is driving me away. Your hypocrisy and judgmentalism are driving me away. Your resistance to finding authentically new ways to tell the old, old story is driving me away. If that's a voice that is expressing something of the truth of God for us, what will it mean for us to truly open our ears to hear what it's saying? What new expressions of worship and even of church, might emerge for us from this kind of dangerous hearing. Finally, on the day of Pentecost, there was the danger of the circle being made bigger. Before the events of Pentecost, we read in Acts 1 verse 15 that the group of believers numbered about 120 In all likelihood, it would have been an homogenous group, all speaking the same language, sharing the same cultural identity and nationality. They would have eaten the same food, worn the same clothes, laughed at the same jokes, even supported the same football team. Maybe the Galilee Gators or the Samaria Seminoles, Uh, I don't know. But then the Spirit came. 
And before they knew it, that small homogenous group of believers suddenly exploded as people from every nation under heaven were added to their number. And that was just the beginning, which was downright dangerous. Because who knew exactly how wide that circle would finally extend? Indeed, one of the key themes in the book of Acts is the relentless hospitality of the Spirit who constantly seeks to widen and broaden the circle of the church to include those who otherwise would be excluded, to include those whom the Jewish believers initially felt honor-bound by their faith to exclude. And still the Spirit continues that dangerous work of inclusion today. And so when gay and lesbian people find their place in the church, when those of differing economic situations and educational backgrounds find their place in the church, where those who have different ways of understanding the work of God within their lives find a place within the church, It's Pentecost all over again. For that's the dangerous work of inclusion that the Spirit is about. And the question for us is a simple one. Will we cooperate with that work of the Spirit or not? You know, earlier in the service, I spoke about this wonderful opportunity for the homeless Jesus to become part of our church's witness within our city. I may be wrong, but I believe in my heart of hearts that this opportunity has been prompted and gifted by the Spirit and could represent for us a new day of Pentecost. You see, for one thing, the installation of this sculpture at the portico will bring about a very public exposure of this church's work and witness. For another, it will provide a voice to those whose needs are seldom heard and often forgotten and will challenge us and our city to open our ears and our eyes to recognize this need in our midst. Most of all, it will be a powerful declaration to our church and our city that when it comes to making God's love real, there really is no dividing line that excludes anyone from the reach of God's love. And so today, as we celebrate Pentecost, let us boldly pray for the coming of the Spirit like a rushing wind, igniting our lives like wildfire so that we may be moved from the relative safety of obscurity to places of exposure where we can take a courageous and visible stand for what we believe. Let us boldly pray for the coming of the Spirit so that the tongues of the voiceless in our midst will be loosened to proclaim a truth that will set us all free. Let us boldly pray for the coming of the Spirit 
so that ears will be hope opened to hear the sometimes disturbing, always challenging, and yes, liberating message of the kingdom. Let us boldly pray for the coming of the Spirit so that the circles we inhabit will be made bigger as the Spirit desperately desires. And so on this dangerous day of Pentecost, join me as we risk ourselves in praying this daring prayer together. Come, Spirit of God, come. Amen.